Cool. Well, guys, welcome to St. D's and welcome to Pentecost Sunday. Did you all know it was Pentecost today? Yeah. That is the historical birthday of the church. The day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people for the first time. Now, 19 years ago, uh, I went on a camp. Um, I've probably told this loads of times, but um, I wasn't a Christian, wasn't brought up in a Christian home, uh, didn't know much about Christianity, but had begun looking into questions of faith for about six months, asking all kinds of questions, looking at different religions, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity being one of them. And a friend of mine was, was a Christian, and he invited me on this camp at Easter time. And I went along at Easter holidays, and on the third day there, I heard a talk really looking simply at the evidence for the resurrection. The thing that this whole faith game, Christian faith game, is built on, the belief that Jesus Christ came back from the dead, that the tomb was empty, the body was not there. That's what history records. People offer different reasons, but Christians believe it's because he rose again. And this talk looked at the evidence for that. And in that talk, I remember it so clearly, it, it was, have you ever had that moment where it's sort of like you just see the shutters just opening up or the penny dropping, whatever you like to, to call it. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is all true. And if it's true, if Jesus really is alive, then I can know him and I can have relationship with him. And I was so excited. I went back to my room that night and I was like reading my Bible till about midnight. I had a Bible. I was very rebellious. So I was up late reading my Bible. And I just knew there came this moment where I was like, okay, it's time to pray the prayer. And I prayed a prayer seemingly to the ceiling because I didn't know God at this point. I hadn't experienced anything of him. But I prayed a prayer that went a little something like this, like, God, I believe you're there, but I don't know you yet. But I want to know you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I give you everything else. I give you the stuff that I know is wrong, the stuff I'm doing in my life, the way I'm living my life, where I'm putting my security, where I'm finding my identity. You know the stuff we do, the bad stuff maybe in a past life. I gave him that. I said, Lord, I just want you. I felt so vulnerable before the Lord. But in that moment, he met with me. And I now have the language to describe what it was. But what I experienced was like liquid love just flowing into me and over me. I was, I was lying in this bed and I sort of, it felt like this electricity. And I sort of arched up on my sort of imagine lying down on my shoulder blades and my heels, just, just feeling this force of just joy and peace and hope and love. And I got the language now to describe it as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was the, the first time, and in that moment, I met the risen Jesus Christ. And I knew life was going to be okay. My life was transformed. It was turned around. And it happened because of the Holy Spirit. And on Pentecost Sunday, it's appropriate today, we're beginning a brand new series here at St. D's. It's going to run for the next eight weeks. Looking at life in the Spirit. 
What does it look like to be a people, a church, who live in the age of the Holy Spirit? Who depend fully on the person and work of the Holy Spirit? Because I know we hear about the Spirit, but do we actually know him personally? Do we experience him? Do we understand who he is and what he's come to do? Reflecting a few months ago, um, Tim and I were chatting and just feeling, actually, we feel that's a season we're in. That if we want to see this church go to whatever the next level is that God has for us, seeing more people coming in, seeing the hopeless coming through these doors, finding their questions answered, we need more of the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand what life in the Spirit looks like. So over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at topics like next week, Catherine Donaldson, Catherine Miller, the married, uh, looking at the question, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do not miss next Sunday. Then we're going to be looking at the relationship between God's Word and the Holy Spirit, the Bible and the Spirit. How do they go together? We're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What is that? How do you know if it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit or, or condemnation? How do these things work? We'll be looking at the now and the not yet. How does God's kingdom that has come now in Christ, how do we wrestle and work with that tension between what we see now and what's promised in the word of God and promised to come on that final day when Jesus returns? The now and the not yet. All this stuff, what it is to be a people of the Spirit. So I hope you're excited at the beginning of this new series. But it all starts with understanding who is the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm looking at tonight. And um, I've borrowed some material from a well-known course um, called Alpha. Has anyone here done the Alpha course? Hands in the air. Has anyone been on the weekend, the Holy Spirit weekend of the Alpha course and heard the talks on the weekend, actually stayed up for them? Let's keep this between us, yeah? Um, So this is an Alpha talk, essentially, but it is fantastic material. So if the jokes aren't funny, Blame Nicky Gumbel, right? (laughs) Who is the Holy Spirit? The reality is that for a long time, the Holy Spirit has simply been ignored in the church's life. For honest, there's probably been a greater concentration on God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, but not so much on God the Holy Spirit. He's been ignored. He's also been misunderstood. I mean, for a long time, the King James Version, other translations refer to him as the Holy Ghost, don't they? And ghosts, I mean, that just sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? A bit wacky. Who wants to deal with ghosts? Other places, other churches, the Holy Spirit simply gets resisted. Some people are nervous of him. I heard of one church in central London where it was a very formal church, a lot more formal than this one. Uh, And people there were a bit nervous about the Holy Spirit. And there was a lady there who'd recently come to faith. She'd experienced the Holy Spirit. And she was just so excited about what she'd discovered. And in the middle of one of their formal services, she just exclaimed, not even that loudly, hallelujah. And just moments later, uh, she got a tap on the shoulder from the church warden who was there, who, who quietly whispered in her ear, madam, you mustn't say that here. Uh, she said, but I'm so excited. I've got religion. And he said, well, you didn't get it here, madam. <laughs> it's an alpha joke, uh, Nikki. First point about the Holy Spirit. He was involved in creation. We believe in a tripartite, Trinitarian God. Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God just as much as God the Father, just as much as God the Son. And we see that because he was involved right there at the start in Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering, wanting to do something new. Because that's what he loves to do. He comes to bring order and cosmos out of chaos. He comes to bring harmony out of confusion, beauty out of deformity, newness where there's oldness. The Holy Spirit always brings new things to our lives, new attitudes, new desires, new ways of worship, new songs. James Helling's constantly strumming away with a new song. Watch this face. But I think often, if you're anything like me, we can be a little bit conservative with a, with a small C. Uh, we can be a little bit nervous of change, of what the Holy Spirit might bring in our lives. I heard of one man who'd been a church warden in the same church. Church warden's really getting a hard, hard going over tonight. <laughs> He'd been a, a church warden in the same church for 46 years. Someone said to him, over those 46 years, you must have seen so many changes. He said, yes, I have, and I've resisted every single one of them. <laughs> These jokes went down better at the 10.30. That's the first point. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. The second thing we see in the Bible is that he came upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. That's what we see in the Old Testament. So he is the holy, he is the creator spirit. He wants to do new things. And we see this in the Bible that he comes on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. So we meet a chap called Bezalel, who's around at the same time as Moses. And in Exodus 31, verses 1 to 5, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. I have filled him with the Spirit of God to make artistic designs. We see in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God fills people. Now, you can be a talented musician or artist without the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God brings a new dimension to everything we do. You see this in the course of history. If you look back at uh, the way the Holy Spirit has anointed people in extraordinary ways to bring about artistic um, works. People like Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Johann Sebastian Bach, Handel. You'll all, culture vultures, you'll all be familiar with Handel's Messiah, yes? We've all heard, it, heard of it, maybe. In 1741, Handel had suffered a stroke. He had a paralyzed right arm. He had blurred vision. He wasn't in good health. His sight was deteriorating. His work had dried up. And yet he was asked to set some bits of the Bible to music. And he composed the music for the Messiah. Did the whole thing in 24 days. Just locked himself away in a room. Barely ate or drank. Had a spiritual 
encounter. In fact, of the Alleluia Chorus, which, which is one of the parts of the Messiah, he said, I did think I saw heaven open and the very face of God. His biographer wrote this, Handel's Messiah has probably done more to convince thousands that there is a God than all the theological texts ever written. And perhaps the works of no other composer so largely contributed to the relief of human suffering. It's not just the past, it's not just back then. The Holy Spirit anoints people today with artistic ability. Think of um, a friend to many of us here, Charlie Mackesy, who's mainly based at Holy Trinity Brompton. He's spoken at the last couple of carol services, the last two years we've had here. So if you come, you will have heard him. But he's an amazing artist, gifted, and he uses that gift to point people to the love of God. He's produced a, a wonderful sculpture, it's a bronze, of a father figure wrapping up a child, a son, who just hangs limp in his, in his arms. It's a picture of the prodigal son running home into the father's embrace, getting a loving welcome. It speaks of God's love, points people to him. So the Holy Spirit fills us for whatever we're involved with. It could be music, it could be art, but, but most of us here probably aren't involved in those fields. But the Spirit of God wants to fill you for whatever you are involved in. Wherever your workplace is, whatever you do, God wants to fill you with His Spirit to bring you creativity and skill, to do it to the best of your ability to the glory of His name. That's what He does. That's who He is. So He... He filled Bezalel. We then read that the Holy Spirit came on Gideon for leadership. If you're on the St. D's weekend away in January, we got some wonderful teaching on Gideon. We saw uh, plenty about this. Judges 6, 14 to 15 says, The Lord turned to him, Gideon, and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon said, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my family. The context, just to remind you, is Israel had been overrun by the Midianites, uh, their enemy. The country was in desperate need, and God called Gideon to lead his people. And Gideon's response is basically like, Lord, I'm not up to it. I can't do this. I'm too weak. Do you ever get that feeling in stuff, in your life stuff? that you're called to, perhaps doors that open to you and you think, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I'm so glad that God includes in his words stories of people like Gideon, of God choosing people who feel ill-equipped, who don't feel up to the job, but whom he chooses anyway and equips and empowers to do it. As, as I think of, of leaving St. Dee's and moving on to Notting Hill to become a vicar in my own right, St. Peter's Notting Hill, I've got to be honest, guys, I feel hugely daunted. I empathize with Gideon. I'm like, Lord, how can I do that? And yet I know in my holier moments where my eyes are fixed and set in the right place on the right person, I know that with him, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, I can do whatever he's called me to do. But the two go in train. Excitement and yet feeling daunted, but the Spirit of God fills us to do what he calls us to do. What's the difference for Gideon? Verse 34, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. 
We read of Samson, don't we, in the Old Testament. Maybe he's one of your favorite uh, characters. Samson, you know, strength, standing in the pillars, pushing it down, long hair, that sort of thing. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes, he got tied up once by his enemies. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. The bindings dropped from his hands. So often what we see in the Old Testament is sort of a physical picture for what the New Testament brings us in a spiritual picture, if that makes sense. The Lord gave Samson physical strength to break free from his bindings. So today the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual strength, freedom to break free of habits, of addictions, of stuff that keeps us spiritually bound. So that's Bezalel, Gideon, Samson. We see with Isaiah, he gives him the gift of prophecy, of speaking for God. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is an amazing promise of what happens when the spirit of God fills us, fills you. That we get the ability to help other people. I'm sure like me, you've experienced those times when it's so frustrating. You want to be able to help someone, but you don't feel up to it. You don't feel you've got the skills, the resources. What this promise speaks of is that through his Holy Spirit, God will give you a gift. He'll give you a resource that you can meet the needs of those coming to you. And when the Spirit of Christ lives in you guys, people will just be drawn to you. Why? Because they're drawn to the light. And there's all too much darkness in the world right now. They will come to you, seeking your wisdom, seeking an answer for the hope that is within you. Are you ready to give it? The Holy Spirit gives us power to bind up the brokenhearted. He also anoints us to proclaim freedom for the captives. Some people, when they come to Christ, are set free immediately. I'm sure we've all heard those stories, seen those people. Maybe you're one of them. For others of us, it's, it's a longer-term thing. I think I empathize a bit more with Bono, who says, uh, said that for all that I was lost and I am found stuff, it's probably more accurate to say, this is Bono speaking, I was really lost and I'm a little less so at the moment. And then a little less and a little less again. That, to me, is the spiritual life. The slow reworking and rebooting of a computer at regular intervals, reading the small print of the service manual. It has slowly rebuilt me in a better image. It's taken years though, and it's not over yet. But Jesus sets us free. He sets the captives free. And he proclaims freedom for the prisoners. I've had the privilege um, at a couple of points um, over the last 10 years or so to go into prisons to actually help on Alpha Courses, uh, Holy Spirit Days in prisons. So speaking to prisoners, just offering the gospel, the good news of Jesus to them and seeing them respond. Seeing them ask for prayer to be filled with the Spirit and being filled and receiving that joy, that hope, that peace. Such a privilege. But I think we all know that often people in prison can be even freer perhaps than people outside who are bound and captives to all kinds of things. Spiritual captivity. And whether we're in prison or out of it, Jesus comes to set us free. The Holy Spirit gives us that freedom. And we can proclaim that. 
That's what we're called to do as the church. We proclaim freedom. We can bring that to other people. And that's a huge blessing. The third thing about the Holy Spirit, who he is, is that he was promised by the Father. By the Father. What we see in the Old Testament is that he comes on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. But as we go through the Old Testament, we get a rising sense of anticipation that something new is going to happen. And this new thing is referred to as the promise of the Father. So what is the promise of the Father? Well, in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, the Lord says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decree, decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We all know like the Old Testament is full of laws, full of decrees, full of rules, isn't it? And the people of God, they knew that it was right to keep them. They knew that that displayed the holiness the goodness of God. And yet they also knew that they fell way short of that stuff. They kept, no matter how hard they tried, they fell short, they kept breaking the laws and it became a burden. Something that weighed them down, made them feel guilty because the law was sort of outside of them, opposed to them and over them. But in the promise, this promise, God speaks about taking that law and putting it within us. So that God's very law becomes a force and energy at work within us, enabling us to fulfill the law, the life that God calls us to live. Anyone a keen hiker out there? Mountaineer, budding young mountaineer? Sam Matthews is. Simon Warner. Excellent. So you two. You know those times when you've got a rucksack. <laughs> you know if you go on a hike, I'm sure you've taken on a big hill or something and you've packed at the beginning of the day and you take loads of stuff and you have a pat lunch and maybe a thermos and like a big bottle of sparkling water. I don't know, whatever your flavor is. But you put it on and it feels all right to begin with. But when you're halfway up that hill, it begins to weigh you down, doesn't it? It's tiring. It's a burden. But then you stop to have your lunch and you consume the, th the very thing that's been the burden. You eat the sandwiches, you devour the fruit, the crisps, you drink the water, the coffee, and suddenly it's lighter. And the very thing that was a burden before has become fuel and a source and a resource within you to enable you to complete your journey. That's a picture, that's an image of God's promise here that he's going to set those laws within our hearts, enabling us to fulfill them. Isn't that good news? So the promises of God, which we read in the Old Testament, you shall not commit adultery. In the New Testament, because of God's spirit, become you shall not commit adultery. Because you will have a spirit at work within you that gives you the power to resist temptation. To live the holy life you're called to live. This is great news, isn't it? Just turn to a neighbor and say, this is, this is really good news. And back. That verse also says, doesn't it? He'll take away our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Has anyone heard of Jackie Pullinger here? Hands in the air. Excellent. Just too lazy to raise a hand. I love it here. Like, yes. Oh, gosh. 
Jackie Fullinger, amazing missionary in Hong Kong. When she was 21 years of age, God just spoke to her and said, I want you to go and get on a boat and I will tell you when to get off it. So she just left her life behind and went and got on a boat and God told her to get off in the port of Hong Kong. She headed for an area called the Walled City, which is like a square mile, very different to our square mile, a square mile of lawlessness, maybe not that different. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to make that joke. But um, <laughs> prostitutes, gang members, drug addicts, God called her there. 60,000 people just living on top of each other. Just, you can imagine it. But God gave her a heart for those people, to minister to those people, to reach out to the triad, the hardcore triad gang lords and members, the prostitutes, to bring drug addicts, heroin addicts, off their heroin addiction just by simply praying for them, staying up all night with them as they're going cold turkey, standing watch with them, praying in tongues over them, seeing them delivered from those strongholds. And she came and she gave a talk once and she started it by saying, God wants to give us soft hearts and hard feet. The problem with most of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. When the Spirit of God comes, He softens our hearts. He gives us compassion. He gives us hard feet, a willingness to go anywhere. Jackie laid her life down. She went anywhere. She went where the Lord called. But the Lord has a calling for you. He has people that only you can go to. And when you set out to go towards them, your feet may feel soft. You may not feel up to it. But with his strength, he will toughen up your feet. He will soften your heart. And you will be able to go out to them and give them what he's calling you and perhaps only you to give them. Soft hearts, hard feet. That's the result of the promise of the Father. To whom will this promise be given? How will it happen? Joel 2, 28 says this. Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters. In other words, it's regardless of gender, the promise. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's regardless of age. Even on my servants, it's regardless of rank, of hierarchy, of race, of background. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The amazing news is this gift of the Holy Spirit, what we're celebrating today on Pentecost, is that it's for everyone. Everyone. That's one of the reasons I love focus. You know, what you just got a glimpse of on that video one of the reasons I love it is it's the whole people of God, the whole family of God coming together, 7,000 of us or so, coming together to worship the King, to be one family together, young and old. We gather together under that big top. You see babies of sort of three months old with their tiny sort of, um, you know, those, what are they called? Ear, ear defenders, you know, luminous ear defenders in the worship. So very delicate ears don't get damaged. By the incredibly loud worship. And they, they th three-month-old baby just worshipping alongside a sort of 83-year-old granny. You can probably barely hear the worship, but she's in there. She's lapping it up. Wonderful mix of young and old, male and female, all colors, all ethnicities gathered together in the name of Jesus. All being filled by the Spirit. Being a people of the Spirit. Learning about life in the Spirit. It's for everyone. 
That's the promise. It moved away from particular people, particular times, for particular tasks. God was saying, I'm going to do something new. It's going to be available for all. And the people of Israel got excited. They're like, whoa, this sounds cool. When's it going to happen? Well, they had to wait a bit, like several hundred years for it to be fulfilled. But this growing anticipation begins to happen. And then at the birth of Jesus, it's almost like a trumpet sounds and everyone surrounding the birth of Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mary, his mother, in Luke 1.35, we read, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, then pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. Quite a potent union, those two. Can you imagine? Anyway, Mary visits Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt within her womb. And Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone Jesus came into contact with was filled. John, in his ministry years later, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That word, baptism, from the Greek word, baptismo, is a word used of ships that would capsize or sink um, out at sea. And if they sank, and if they went to the depths of the sea, it it was said of them that they'd been baptized because they'd been completely swamped, engulfed, saturated by the ocean surrounding them. That's what it means. Or perhaps picture, maybe some of you, I don't know if you're more a bath person or a shower person, more a shower man. Maybe you like a bath last thing at night. Maybe you've got one of those lovely sponges. You know the ones that look like they've been plucked from the depths of the, the, the sort of seabed? You know, there's beautiful things. Authentic sponge is what I'm talking about. Or even a cheap sponge has the same effect. Uh, but you put it on the side of the bath, it dries out, doesn't it? Give it 24 hours, it's, that thing's dried out. It's gone rock hard, hasn't it? You run a bath and you chuck it on and it just sort of skates on the top. It's like, oh, I'm not going in there. And he's like just hovering on the surface. But then you like, you push him up, you dunk him a couple of times. And the water starts to get, and he softens. I'm, a, I'm acting out a sponge. <laughs> And then he becomes all floppy. And he's like, he's so saturated and soft, isn't he, that he's under the water. You have to actually lift, get out of there. You didn't even want to be in there. That's a picture of what God wants for us. He wants us so filled. He wants us so saturated. He wants us so soft that we are just a people of the Spirit. That, that we don't rest on the surface when we have ministry time. This is why we do ministry times, guys. This is why we're teaching into this, because... Honoring the Holy Spirit is about our worship, it's about our singing, it's about our Bible teaching, it's about our praying, but it's also about giving him space to do what only he can do. So when we have ministry at the end of a service, when we say, come Holy Spirit, that is saying, Lord, it's over to you. I know it feels weird, we, we wait in silence and we're like, is this awkward? No. No. Because we trust that the Holy Spirit is at work. He's touching people. He's filling people. He's a person. He's in the room. We all, all it is, we, can't, we simply can't see him. If we could see him, we'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I see why we do this. 
But we do it in faith. Because he wants to take us and he wants to just, this won't look pretty, but he wants to just dunk us in the water of, this, of himself. It's a hard analogy to follow, I know. <laughs> he wants to fill us. He wants us to be like that sponge. He wants to give us his life. And Jesus was a man always filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, comes back from his temptation uh, in the desert, said Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he went into a synagogue and he read those words from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He reads those words, all the eyes in the synagogue are on him. And then he sat down and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he says, I'm the key to all of this. All of this stuff you've been longing for. All of this stuff you've been waiting for. All of the stuff you want to see. All the freedom you want to experience in your own life. All the breakthrough and freedom you want to see in wider community and society's life. The hope for the world. It all centers on me, Jesus says. This is why we're big on Jesus at this church. This is why it's all about him. This is why it's all about his resurrection. Because if he didn't come back from the dead, none of this is possible. None of this is changing anything. But if he is alive, then everything changes. And in John 7, Jesus said, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty. Are you thirsty tonight? Or are you at least here open to being thirsty? Let anyone who is thirsty, Jesus says. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from within them. Isn't that a beautiful image? Isn't it? Don't you want that? Streams of living water bubbling up, flowing within you. I too often feel like a stagnant pond. But the promise is streams, a spring. Sometimes that spring gets blocked up by our own Sin, by the stuff we, we turn our back on God, we don't believe. We allow debris and rocks and sticks to block up the spring. But God is saying, unblock the spring. Repent. Return to me. And the streams of living water will flow. John writes, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since, the, since Jesus had not been glorified. But Jesus says it's going to happen. Jesus being glorified was, was his being crucified and raised to new life. That happened. And yet still they waited. Jesus said, go into the city and wait for the promise of my father. Post his resurrection said to the disciples, go and wait for me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's an increase in New Testament, rising sense of this anticipation. They're waiting. It's coming any moment now. The promise of the Father. It's like a champagne bottle. Maybe this crap, more Prosecco bottle. Being shaken, anything like me. Uh, 
There's this building anticipation. And then chapter 2, verse 2 in Acts, the cork flies off. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each and every one of them. It wasn't now a pillar of fire ahead of the people of God, one pillar with all the people following. It was tongues of fire over the head of every single individual. And that's the promise for us today and what we'll be praying for in just a moment's time. All of them. Not particular people, particular times. All of them were filled. They all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the reaction of the people, some were amazed. Some made fun of them. Some thought, oh, they've had too much wine, they're drunk. They came up with natural explanations for a supernatural reality. But Peter gets up and says, let me explain what's happening. This is the Holy Spirit. This was prophesied in the Bible. This is the promise of the Father that we've all been waiting for. It's the promise in Joel. In those days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter says this is Jesus meeting with us, still being with us today. And then most amazingly of all, Peter says in that first sermon, this is for you. And with this we land. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. Not just for the people who were there. For you and your children. For the next generation. For all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call saying these words in Israel 2,000 years ago and us hearing these words in Parsons Green, London 2,000 years later. Far off, kind of, 2,000 miles away. He says this promise, the promise of all the things we've been looking at this evening, this promise of life, of harmony, of beauty for ashes, of creativity, of newness, of strength, of freedom, of compassion, of anointing, of living water. This promise is for you. And you. And you. And you. Every single one of us. And we receive it by coming to Jesus and asking him to fill us. So shall we do that now? your enthusiasm. Why don't we stand together?